So, um, Bob, do you remember the game GeoGuessr? I love GeoGuessr. Yes. Um, somebody at work was playing it on their phone the other day, and I was like, I've played GeoGuessr. It must be like the only other person I've seen outside of like you and Colin and maybe a yeah. couple other people. I, I had a co-worker. Oh, no, Colin, do you even know what it is? Yeah, I, I had a coworker introduce it to me. I and, don't. And so, so then I showed it to you guys, yeah. and you took it and ran with it. I played it all the time. Um, but it's this game where it drops you down somewhere using, on Google Maps. You know, you know it, it drops you in using Google Street View. Like Street View. Okay. So you can click around and you can look all around you, but it doesn't tell you like what street you're on or where even what city you're in. But you can read the street sign. Well, you can, you can potentially if you can find in the picture. Them. It, yeah. If you can find it and if you can read the language. It, yeah. if, if it's at night, then I would know exactly where I am because of star signs. So There you go. But yeah, so then the I'm kidding, I don't, the, I can't do that. the object of the game is to drop a pin on a map and see how close you can on, get on the world map to determine awesome. how close you can get to. A, that sounds amazing. And, I want to play this game. And the, the closer you get, the uh, the more points yeah. you get, and you get I think I think it's like three to five, and you could take the exact same um, locations or instance, if you will, of the game and send those to your friends, and so you can each compete with oh, the exact like same challenge. Yeah, challenge challenge your friends. With with the exact same points, you each get dropped in the exact same location. You know, you're not who gets it right. So you're not supposed to like use Google to like search anything, right? You know, um, but what's funny is if you play it enough, and I don't really remember all this now, but like you start to get to know, like, oh yeah, this has got to be Sweden because Sweden has that like red pavement. Ah. Yes, <laughs> yes, or, or 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 that that's very much Portuguese. Portuguese. We're definitely in Brazil right now. This is the Portuguese signs. Yeah, this jungle it, it doesn't look like uh, you know Argentinian jungle. It looks like Brazilian jungle <laughs> or another particular country. Start, start recognizing <laughs> the foliage that might have a pub in every corner of every street <laughs> on the block. <laughs> Uh, as we get into welcome, it. laddies. <laughs> if we, uh, if we, if if I ever play the game and I end up in Ireland, I'll say, "Oh, I'm in County Cork, <laughs> on the corner of Brookenborough and Vassenborough, Humbenshire." <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome to March and uh, St. Patrick's time. Yeah. So why yeah. don't we start? Let's start. I'm Zach, and I'm Colin, and I'm Bob. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the Houseplants Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so we are here to talk about music, media, media and, the and the mission, mission of Jesus. Jesus. Probably all three in this one. We are back in the trailer, as you can probably hear from a little mm-hmm. bit of extra reverb. But we are definitely not on the, uh, on the uh, internet uh, latency thing. So that's good. Not surfing the net. But uh, here's the thing. It, it By the time you are listening to this, it will be St. Patty's Day uh, or uh, close right. to around that yeah. time. Yeah, thereabouts. So mm-hmm. uh, what's cool is um, that we can um, talk about a Irish topic. I don't know. I think that, Bob, are you of Scottish descent? I am of Scottish descent. Uh, I've got an ancestor we trace back to actually fighting alongside William Wallace. Okay, so Scottish. Mm-hmm. I'm Irish, Polish, and you are German and something else. Yeah, the Kratzers are all German, but on my mom's side, we have uh, the Morgans, and the Morgans are actually Welsh. Oh, <laughs> Scottish, Welsh, and well, Irish. Well, okay, I, I good. Mean, Scottish, English, with a little bit of German in there as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we're from the area. Yeah. On, yeah. on my mom's side, uh, one of my relatives was sent to the Americas as a punishment for stealing bread to feed his family. 
Wow. So I don't have any cool story. story. I don't have cool stories like that. I know that my McSweeney last name is on the crest of the Irish crest. It's just three pigs and a lizard. And I always like to say I'm the lizard. (laughs) So there you go. But yeah, um, (laughs) before we get into talking about our topic today, uh, which is uh, decidedly about Ireland. Ireland. It's all about Ireland today. Um, And not necessarily about St. Patrick, uh, but definitely about Ireland. Uh, We'll get into it, though. We're going to do a little worship, and uh, we've put together a really fun version of Flourish for you oh, all I'm to looking forward to this. This is going to be awesome. Um, now, listen very closely to what we've done with the ornamentation of the melody, because that'll come in uh, important later uh, when we mm. talk about the musicality of Irish music. So, without further ado, here we go. Like we 
the courts of the You are a pride and I will flourish In the courts of the You are our God and we will flourish In the courts of the Lord Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for bringing us together um, to talk about your word and talk about you and how you've been moving uh, throughout history. I ask, Lord, that uh, just as we sang uh, a little bit ago, that um, we would be planted in your house, Lord, that we would flourish um, because we are rooted in you, that we are attached um, to the source, which is you. And Lord, I just thank you for... um, just showing us the ways that your grace works through people and pray that we would just glorify you as we talk about that in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, Ireland, but a specific, but maybe even a little bit of, of stuff before Ireland, because before Ireland was Ireland, it was, you know, kind of a Celtic kind of, Hodgepodge, part of the British Isles, yeah, Gaelic sort mm-hmm. of uh, mm-hmm. nation, um, the the Gales, some would say, if you're coming yeah. from Ireland or Scotland, and then the Brethonic uh, uh, or Bretonic. Uh, oh yes, if yeah, you're going with yeah. Welsh and the other part, right? Uh, but that's we're talking about, on the island of Britain, but we're talking yeah. about like 400 and 500 AD. Yep. So, um, yeah, Zach, specifically, what are we, what are we kind of making the connection to? Where are we going to get to at the end of this? So, um, I wanted to take us kind of through a bit of the early history first, mm. and we'll talk a little bit about more modern stuff. Bob mm-hmm. is going to tell us a bit about that. And then when we wrap up, we're going to have Colin tell us a little bit more about Irish music. But the idea really of this whole episode is just, um, what is Ireland's impact on the church and Christianity mm-hmm. and there it is a huge topic. We will not get to talk about all of it. Um, it goes way beyond yeah. St. Patrick's day. Each one of our little sections. Yeah. We could go on for a whole episode yeah. or two. Probably, Absolutely. Yeah. We'll save it for next year. Next year. <laughs> yeah. This could be a, an annual thing possibly. Okay. But I wanted to take us a bit through the timeline cause you know, I like time travel. So we're going to fire up time George or Tim, Tim George. Yes. George Tim. George Time or Time George. Yeah, there you go. That's right. We're going <laughs> to um, we're gonna fire up the DeLorean here. Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> his favorite series of movies, even the third one, he, he heralds is better than any other movie, <laughs> except for the first and the second one. <laughs> yeah. So um, the thing is, is that there were Christians in Ireland before St. Patrick. Right. Which is really weird. People think of St. Patrick as, oh, he's the one who brought Christianity to Ireland. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of a misconception, kind of a simplification of history. That's true. But really where Christianity starts to come into Ireland is between 400 and 500 AD. Mm-hmm. So around that time in the church, um, we've already had the Council of Nicaea. Yep. Um, okay. So that's an important one. The church was basically kind of one entity there weren't really denominations um all right. the church was basically kind of it was latin sort of it was um it was starting to be um kind of mixed in with the roman empire by that point right um 
Constantine, I think, had been around at like 425 or so. So around this same time, uh, the Roman Empire was expanding and it finally hits like the furthest reaches of Europe. And so they hit the British Isles and uh, there was a Roman bishop, which they did not yet call him the Pope. But the Roman bishop was like one of, one of, if not the most powerful bishop, from what we know. Right. Okay. Around the year 429, he sent a guy named Palladius. Palladius was basically just this rich guy who was also a bishop. He was from Gaul, which we know now is France. Yep. And so he sent this Palladius guy um, to, um, I think he said uh, in his letter, like, go and minister to the Christian Scots. Yeah. So that shows that there was already some Christians in the land of Ireland and Scotland and they were sending bishops out there to like run churches and stuff. Yeah. So that's Hmm. around 429. Um, St. Patrick happened sometime during the same century, but we're not exactly sure when. Yeah. Um, But he was born in Britain. So he's actually a British guy, not Irish. Uh, Well, see, this is, this is the Mm -hmm. interesting history (laughs) of that area is there is constant migration. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who were, f- who did famous things in Ireland migrated from England and vice, you know, vice versa. There's a lot of Irish people in different places where they do famous things. I found a lot of composers from like the 1700s were just like, Oh, he was this German guy, but he went to Ireland and then wrote some stuff. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, is he Irish? I mean, I guess. Yeah. There's a lot of people who went to Ireland. I'll talk about yeah. that in a little yeah. bit because Ireland kind of be- becomes a destination destination place yeah Yeah, it does (laughs) that's fun but in the 400s like even though there were christians in ireland it was probably majority pagans Mm. so like you know people oh yeah people kind of had that folk like celtic religion druids there were druids that's right yeah Mm -hmm. so they existed during this time saint patrick when he was a child somehow he was captured by pagans from ireland right basically you know just people who um you know were basically the equivalent of like human traffickers. Really? They were slave traders. They, they took, beat them up. They, they put them in a up, wagon, put them something. in a boat, a boat. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Cause you got to go across. Uh, what is that called? That's not the English channel. Um, but that small channel water between, between Ireland, England and other England islands and out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they go across I've, there in a boat. I've been across that on a boat yeah. when I took that trip a long time yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you've made the same voyage. It doesn't take that Patrick. long. It's, it's just a nice ferry ride sometimes. Right, yeah. Yeah, so even with like, you know... Where it's closest. Where it's closest, yeah. you can take a ferry. Mm-hmm. Even with like the early medieval like ships, they could get across yeah. it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in slavery for a while, and at some point when he was a young man, he was able to escape. And now I found this fun fact, I didn't write it down, but um, apparently... I saw this on the that Lutheran satire okay. guy um, uh-huh. on his YouTube video about St. Patrick. He mentions how um, in St. Patrick's Confessions, he talks about coming across and trying to get on a boat. And apparently there was this pagan practice where, like, um, a guy would, like, basically flash you his uh, nipple. And you were supposed to, uh, you know... 
<laughs> suckle whoa. on it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yes. Christian podcast. <laughs> this is a thing. <laughs> so they would do that for what reason? Just to like show loyalty or something. So uh, this like the it's it's <laughs> it's a weird like rudimentary version of like kissing a king's ring or something something like that yeah Ugh. so apparently this boatman like tried to get St Patrick to do it but he did not do it <laughs> he refused it's like man I, I ain't a part of this <laughs> yeah not doing this I don't know how he got across the water but apparently that was a thing I okay. don't know okay um I just that's, thought that's I just hilarious to point that out that's a very weird thing well he's a he's kind of a slave <laughs> on that boat right so technically it's like he's, he's an escaped slave at this point oh right because he's trying to get back yeah that's right okay. so he escapes uh, they let him on the boat. Um, maybe he, maybe St. Patrick used he bypasses his, the traditional method of payment. <laughs> maybe he maybe he used his uh, superior intellect and said, "I promise you, I will do it when we reach the shore." <laughs> they just jumped right up with his fingers crossed. He maybe. said, "God, please forgive me for lying." <laughs> Probably something like oh that. Oh my goodness, that's man, fun. that is fun though. Cultures change. Dude, okay, we gotta. I mean, we gotta forgive this detail because it is uh, not it's, even five hundred AD. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even the Dark Ages. It's weird. Yeah, there's so many weird things. But as he was uh, back at home in Britain, yeah, he gets a little bit older, and he feels this calling to um, go back and minister to the people that had once enslaved him. Yeah, that becomes his mission. And I, he realizes, you know, that even though he was in bondage as a slave, they're actually in bondage because they're in bondage to sin. Right. And so he absolutely that's when he starts his mission to Ireland, where, you know, he becomes famous for converting Irish people. And yeah, and it's kind of uh, I mean, I've, I've heard it also told that he sort of celebrates with the people who had originally like captured him. He like yeah. forgives them. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I always felt like, I mean, it's loose, but I always felt like St. Patrick's story was kind of very similar to Joseph, you know, the, yeah. the coat, you know, the brothers throw him in the pit. And then he comes back uh, being like sort of re- revived by God and, and, and they kind of mm. sort of are more of the humble standing at that time. Mm-hmm. I know that's not a one for one, but I always, mm-hmm. I always makes me think of but that because the, the, the idea of like, or like Ben Hur or any of these, where yeah. where you you go into the lowest point of your life and somehow God like sort of brings you out of it and you return, yeah, sort of in a more uh, triumphant return than uh, than sort of a groveling return. It's funny to me because what most people know about Saint Patrick as you know he preached to the Irish, he converted them, and he wore green or whatever. Okay. It's totally surface level. Yeah. And misses the whole entire. The whole entire point is this is a forgiveness kind of thing. Right. But we're yeah. but 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 we're Absolutely. also wanting to talk more about like Ireland in general's yeah. uh, influence, right? Yeah. So we have St. Patrick, and I will say this: I am very tentatively weary of all saint stories. Yeah. Because I've learned much much more about like saint stories recently from like the uh, what is it called the. Uh, like Eastern Orthodoxy and stuff and how they kind of like Mm -hmm. look at folk heroes and stuff Mm -hmm. as not really being a thing, but like they kind of are, they're kind of like legends like Beowulf and stuff. And so I always am like, okay, we can't know this stuff for real. Yeah. Maybe it's a great like allegorical parable or a story, 
But what we can't is, but yeah, but what we can know about St. Patrick is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's true that he did go back and preach to the people who once enslaved them, uh, him rather, what do you think makes it so such a powerful way of like getting the mission of Jesus out there? Like, why is that so successful in terms of fitting with the mission of Jesus? Well, first of all, you uh, he, he understands the culture. He understands the people he's he's, yeah. he's interacting with because he spent years in slavery to them. Yeah, he's got a background. But also, I mean, he has every reason to hate them, every reason to ignore them, every reason to never deal with them again now that he's escaped. And yet, despite the fact he's escaped, he's called by God to go back to those mm-hmm. same people that he yeah. is supposed to hate by all accounts and if we if we connect and the dots, share them love if we connect the dots to jesus it's kind of like jesus knows what will happen to him mm-hmm. so in a way he has reason to hate the jew the jewish people of israel uh for and then the pharisees and sadducees yeah. and stuff but he still you know that's true preaches the gospel so jesus, in, in a roundabout came way to preach the good news and he died for the very people who were killing him, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, Father, very, forgive them for they very not know Jesus what to do. like, yeah. And so I think that that's cool is that's part of, um, Ireland's history of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll move on quickly here. And had Jesus been like, you know, born later and St. Patrick was like a story instead of referencing like Jonah, he might've been like, just like St. Patrick who came back. Maybe. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe. No, I'm teasing. I'm okay, teasing. cool. So 476 AD, Rome is conquered by um, the barbarians, the Germanic tribes, the Goths, the Visigoths. Okay. And this is something that had been happening for a while because um, the Huns are coming into Europe. And mm-hmm. like, so these people from like Germany and Austria and places like that are kind of like fleeing from where the Huns are taking over and they're taking over parts of Rome and Rome is like losing to them. Right. Um, so it's like a big mess, but in 476, that's the year that the actual city of Rome falls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Rome, unless had, you believe that Rome never fell, right? <laughs> which that's some people thing. do. That's the thing. <laughs> well, Rome had already split yeah. because there's an Eastern empire, which becomes Byzantine, Bi- the Byzantines. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then the uh, I guess West becomes like uh, they were Italians, Greeks, yeah, and Romans. They were then, still Rome, but they got split up. But anyway, yeah. the guy the guy who took over the city was a king named Odoacer. Yeah, I know yeah. that name. Yeah, so he's pretty cool. Like I know him from uh, Age of Empires. <laughs> Big fan. Uh, we we learn a lot from our uh, yeah. real time strategy games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you do really. You do. Yeah. Um, an interesting little fact is that the barbarians, as they call them, mm. um, they were believers in Arianism. Okay. And, oh, really? Yeah. Which is okay. weird. Not a lot of people know that, but so so which was um, a sect that came out of Christianity that yeah. rejected the divinity of Christ. Yeah. They they didn't reject his full divinity. They just didn't think he was as divine as God. Right. Something like that. Yeah. He's basically kind of mm-hmm. like a lesser. God he's he would be on the that. same he'd be on the same well, uh t- plane as like Apollo or something. So so, so maybe. I, because Rome would believe in the Greek gods, right? So well, these are these are the Arians. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yes. okay, okay. Yeah, and, and, and Ari- so. Arians believed that like 
that Jesus was created by God instead uh, of like existing okay. as part of the Trinity. They didn't believe in the Trinity. So, so my, my favorite yeah. Christmas story is is one, and it matters to yes. this very conversation because, <laughs> and, and that involves the fact that... we talked about this. Yes, that, that at one of the councils where they were talking about the divinity of Christ, that I believe it was the Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. Um, Constantinople, uh, where, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I know only like two or three of these. Where where, where Bishop Nicholas ends up punching... Saint Nicholas. Yes, Saint Nicholas, Mm -hmm. uh, as Bishop, ends up punching the leader of this group. See, being violent is okay. Being violent is good. It's justifiable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for for doubting, uh, for denying the divinity of Christ in in this council. You know, Arius Arius almost won at that point because Saint Nicholas did that. Yes. So Saint Nicholas had to apologize and eventually... Um, through the grace of God, um, the Aryan view lost out, but it stuck around. And the, a lot of the people who believed in it were people from like um, the Gothic and the Visigothic tribes. Mm-hmm. For some reason, like Odo Asser and all those guys were all Aryans. I didn't know that. They had like made significant inroads in that community for some reason. So not so for everybody who's listening, yeah. not the Aryans as in people who believe that there's one like master race. Right. No, Same, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Different thing. No, yeah. it's so the word is Aryan, spelled Arianism. It's yes. spelled differently. Yeah. Yes. And, and so and it's based off of Arius, who was the bishop who Thank you. who, who, who yeah. held on to yeah. this and, and propagated yeah. this theological belief. Yeah. So, so I just want, I want, I want to yeah. make that clear that it's not like we're going to go, oh, and a thousand years later, you know, they, they <laughs> became that's bad a, things. That's a different thing. Although yeah. a thousand years later, there were bad things. But, sure, sure. Sorry about that. When uh, so Rome was invaded by um, these barbarian tribes and they were kind of bringing like the Aryan influence and in. like they did not. There was not a lot of development in the church on the continent of Europe because it was right. basically facing a bunch of war for a mm. long time, like almost yeah. a century. Um, but Ireland was kind of off by itself. Like Ireland didn't get invaded by um, mm-hmm. by the Goths or the Visigoths or yeah. Any of those guys that were fleeing, like, from the Huns. Help um, being on an island by yourself. It was, yeah, it was off by itself. And so um, the Roman army had to leave the British Isles alone and go and try and defend Rome. And meanwhile, this rich culture of Christianity grows up around Ireland. So they have, like, monasteries. Um, they had Latin learning because they had studied all the scriptures in Latin. Yeah. Um, they knew the Greek language. And then they also um, came up with kind of like a way to oppose like the Druid influence. Because Druid, you know? dru- Druids aren't exactly pagans. They have a spiritual belief of like mm-hmm. a certain pantheon of gods. Yeah, they're kind of pantheistic. Um, they're kind of... A good video game, which kind of like lines this out, is a game called uh, Hellblade or Sinua's Sacrifice. Yeah. And it kind of, <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, I'm a video game player. But basically, uh, <laughs> a lot of history in those. What's interesting is that they did actually have that like weird uh, sort of hodgepodge of yeah. both ancient Roman and some, but also Germanic and Viking mm-hmm. influence from Norse. Yeah. That makes them believe in things like Loki, but also in like yeah. other weird ones. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, those Druidic people had. An, an understanding of spiritualism and like uh-huh. respecting the dangers of gods and stuff. But they also were like prone to believe that like certain heroes 
could yeah. like be on par with them. Yeah. So Jesus being a man kind of makes sense to them that it's like, oh, it's just whatever. They would have been like, yeah, Jesus, he's just like, you know, Thor. Or he's something. one of those yeah. really special warriors, yeah. but he's peaceful. So we don't get that either. So Yeah. But so, no, it's, uh, what I'm saying is like yeah. compared to a pagan, a druid, a, a, a druid type thinker is, yeah. is, is a completely different camp. Pagans believe maybe not even in pantheons technically right they just believe in like old spirits of the earth and stuff like that but it just depends i yeah. think pagan i the way i think I of guess pagan, pagan is it's kind of like a catch-all for, yeah that's true yeah okay pantheistic or like um polytheistic beliefs there's pagan gods yeah. i know there is yeah. but i'm just meant it's but a little all that is to say that ireland had its own christian community that was kind of insulated from the rest of the church gotcha and because of that they were able to survive kind of the chaos that was happening and ah. so they had, um, they came up with a prayer, which eventually became the basis for the song, Be Thou My Vision, which I'll mm. let Colin talk about a little bit later. But as we're imagining kind of this, um, like insulated Irish community mm. that has its own kind of form of church, um, you can also kind of think about like other cultures that kind of end up with like a very unique church model. Like I know Bob has seen like Chinese churches. You yep. Know. Yep. Um, what is it about the gospel and about Christianity that makes it so easy to like cross over into different cultures and still be, um, you know, proper worship of God and have the right beliefs and everything? Bob, do you want to go first? I have like a thing I'll say quickly. No, no, you, you, you go ahead. You go ahead, Colin. I was just going to say that I think it's proof of the validity of scripture that mm-hmm. it is able to cross so eloquently across the cultures. And I think it's interesting because cultures may affect how the message is sort of like stylistically Mm -hmm. presented, but it doesn't retract Mm -hmm. from the meat of the message. Yeah. Yeah. So it continues around. What's interesting is there are a lot of cultures who completely repelled Christianity, like, you know, feudal Japan for a long time with like Jesuits and stuff, Mm -hmm. but eventually did become a part of the culture in its own way. Africa has its own thing where they do a lot of dancing. Ireland has a lot of these like poems that speak of God and then are then translated. in. Well, very interesting. It also helps when, when our faith is not based around specific cultural practices, so to speak, as much as it is about, you know, about the belief and faith and, and just reading and knowing our God. Yeah. That, 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 that's really what it boils down it's to. It's not the casserole recipe that mm-hmm. like your church lady comes up with. <laughs> I mean, music. <laughs> yeah. So what, what, it just, it just, some, some of the yeah. other religions that are out there, you tend to find that they are very specific uh, practices that must be done at specific points in the day or mm-hmm. pilgrimages to a specific location are almost yeah. mandatory to, for their faith or things like that. And and although that pilgrimages did exist in this day and age, it, it was it was it was never a requirement of our faith. Yeah. So music is one example, and we'll and I'll and I will have my turn to talk a little while. But um, I think a good example of how um, the message can be presented by a culture differently, but still be the message is the depiction of Christ in like paintings and stuff. So I know in American culture, there's been a lot of backlash and, you know, in England as well about the depiction of Jesus Christ being this like blonde blue eyed guy with white skin. Sure. But if you do, if you do some like research in like art history or like humanities and stuff, and you look at some of the, um, the ways 
Jesus is depicted in art and in glass in other countries of completely different mm-hmm. cultures, you will see that that his ethnicity is almost reflected in the culture. Yes, yeah. so like exactly. Chinese or Japanese mm-hmm. or uh, Eastern European, they all have like just mm-hmm. a slightly changed visage of him no, my, based my, on that. My favorite piece of art uh, that I own is is one of it's a wax painting. It's of Jesus uh, calming the storms on the boat. Um, so you got the disciples in the boat in front of him and Jesus standing in the boat trying to calm the storms. But what is so unique about it is that his face is much more yellowish. He's got uh, this these long mustache, like the Fu Manchu style mustache. I've it, seen these. Yes, it is very much a depiction of Chi- of Jesus as Chinese. Yes. Yeah. Um, because it is wax on this, if you turn it on behind, if you turn it backwards, mm. um, it's got almost like an inverse of the of, of the of the image, just, just just the way the art happens to be. Okay, it wasn't intended to be like this is part of the art as much as it's just an artifact, if you will. Okay. but but at, at, but when when we bought it and we showed it to, uh, we were still in China at the time, and we showed it to uh, uh, the pastor and his wife, and we kind of even showed him. We held up the, the painting in one way, and we said Chinese Jesus, and we flipped it around, and it says White Jesus. Yeah. And right, the way the, the way that it looks. Yes, yeah, just the way that it looks. And so we, it was just humorous to yeah. us in general. And the point there was the fact that yes, every culture is going to depict Jesus like them, so they they, yeah. they want to see someone that they can relate to, not because they're trying to culturally appropriate or whatever term you want to use for sure, that culture. I, yeah, I didn't want to but, get big in, yeah. into that. I was just yeah. giving an example of how a culture can sort of present the message. It's Absolutely. still Jesus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It is so, Jesus. So the, 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 the idea there, and I'm not justifying depicting Jesus as a blonde, uh, blue eyed person. But, but the point is, is that every culture is going to do that to, yeah, to, right. to match their and, particular and so people. Ireland to get back to Ireland. Sorry, I derailed us a little bit. Ireland is caked with culture based around, uh, many different factions that are feuding war on the border and all of this, and because of that, it makes a very unique cultural yeah. presentation of the message. Yeah. Oh, interesting. One yeah. of the things is like uh, the Celtic cross that is you know, weaved a, with the uh, the cool weavies. Yeah, that's a completely different version of the cross that you wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Like it wouldn't have been. Oh, interesting. Of, you know, and the Celtic cross is like a big deal. I mean, now. Um, I mean, it's common to see on like tattoo work and stuff, um, but right. it's a cool well, cultural thing um, that because it is back, beautiful and it dates back to, you know, this time period, like the 500s, um, because they had their culture. And so they were taking the cross, which was being used across all of the right. Christian world as a symbol to remind you of Jesus sacrifice. And they made it their own. And so, I think that that's really cool. Like. You can see crosses from all kinds of different cultures, and they're made into like different shapes. Right. Yeah. Um, and just as a Absolutely. side side note to add to this, if you guys are familiar, uh, I, I'm sure anybody who is Irish or even knows somebody who's Irish knows the symbol, and it's the the hands that hold the heart with the crown on top. It's called yeah. a it's called a clodog or a clodog. Oh yeah, yeah, clodog. Uh, so a lot of people in the Roman Catholic Church back then used to connect that to. Uh, Christianity because of its like virtues. I think it's yeah. Uh, it's got like th- uh, three virtues associated with it. Anyway, I don't need to go into yeah. all of that. It's just heart, crown, and hands. So the heart is supposed to be. Uh, it's supposed to represent the like virtues of Ireland and like yeah. the culture of Ireland. Mm. And so, uh, for whatever reason, it also has the like Celtic 
kind of weaves in it. And it's yeah. just kind of a lot of people try to make the connection between that and, and Christianity. But again, I believe it is just part of uh, it's part of mm-hmm. the cultural yeah. mixture of that with the message. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I think it's it's really cool that our gospel does that. So I'll just uh, I'll kind of finish up real quick. But from 500 AD, kind of moving up through the Middle Ages, um, Ireland actually becomes this destination. Right. Which is really cool because Europe had been kind of messed up by all these wars mm-hmm. and um, all this different turmoil. Um, Ireland became a place where the ancient way of the church was preserved. So, like, people actually forgot, like, Latin and Greek for a while. Really? Yeah. And scholars would go to Ireland to study it. Oh, that's uh, so well, awesome. Yeah. Even yeah. though that's not the language of Ireland, they had it preserved because they had monasteries where they were like learning all this scripture. Latin and Greek is uh-huh. important for any theologian to to know for yeah. the purpose of understanding. Yeah, because a lot of the early manuscripts were all in Greek and then a lot of the early copies were in, in Latin. Latin had um, a version of the canon, which was called the Vulgate. Yeah, so the it was Vulgate. Like one of the early like versions mm. of the Bible. Um, the Irish had a thing called the book of the Kells, yeah which was actually um a collection of a bunch of books that had all four gospels together in one book and that was in latin and it was one of the first times that that happened so they were they were um influential even in like putting the scripture canon kind of finishing it off and putting it back together interesting and then um art and architecture we talked about the celtic cross there's been a lot of like metalworking and stuff kind of like colin was talking about um, music. And then also they had missionaries that they sent to other parts of Europe because they had these monasteries. So they had like friars and stuff. We're talking about Civ six right now. Yeah. This is Civ (laughs) six or Civ five. (laughs) They sent out apostles (laughs) and they would do, um, uh, you know, theological battles raining down like lightning on everybody. That's right. There we go. But yeah, that's how Ireland, (laughs) Ireland survived a bunch of, really crazy stuff and that's how it became a huge influence because mm-hmm. they had the old ways preserved it's just it, to me it um it does influence american culture because so much of the american population was irish immigration and, mm-hmm. uh, and or scottish or english immigration but um i just think it's interesting to 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 because it's saint patty's day uh, it's cool to um get a closer look at yeah. how that culture revealed itself uh, in, in the way of the message Mm-hmm. Anyway, or the message Absolutely. rebuilt itself yeah. in the way of that culture. Absolutely. But it keeps, and so yeah, it keeps going forward. So let's, uh, let's, let's hear from journey, Bobby. Let's journey forward in time a bit, Bob. Absolutely. <laughs> and I and I know your your part's pretty chunky, but uh, yeah. do your best to condense. Well, yes. Well, it, um, I'm I'm going to be jumping ahead to about the 1500s here, and so of course by this okay. point in time, England has most broken away from the church, from from the main Catholic Church, mm-hmm. formed the Anglican Church, and then following that comes the Protestant Reformation. And I like how you mentioned that England goes first. Well, yeah, it, it, you're it, a good Wesleyan there, marking out that Anglican heritage. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not about that. It's the fact that England, the the, the, the prince, uh, the I'm sorry, the king wanted to king divorce. Henry VIII. It, so yeah. it wasn't about really reforming the church as much. It was I want to get divorced and you won't let me. So fine, I'm just going to break think, off and form my own church. If you really study like a lot of the like writings around that time, yeah. they were kind of starting to come up with their own ideas. Not Henry VIII himself, but like sure. a lot okay. of the bishops in England. But but, but the Anglo yeah. influence yeah. becomes like a a thing, a preceding thing. Like it just keeps going on in Ireland. 
yeah. and, and it's oh, like yeah. a permanent thing. No, no, it's I, just I, two groups. No, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so the so of course the the uh, uh, the English have pretty much conquered this region, the region of Ireland, when all yeah. this has happened, and so the Irish. So um, not to bring up a sore subject, but they never fully got the northern part. <laughs> So, that's true. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Bob. So the um, so 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 there is a, a church in Ireland, and so it is an established. It's a branch of the Church of England, um, and was Protestant and approved by the Crown. But there was also still a lot of Catholic Church so support by the majority of the people in Ireland, and so this is especially true outside of the Dublin area. Yeah. So Dublin was heavily influenced by the Protestant. Uh, um, Irish church. Maybe the biggest, maybe the biggest population. I don't know if at the time it was, but maybe the biggest population populated city now. Yeah. Uh, it was Dublin. So it makes sure. sense that the Catholic Roman Catholic church would, would target that first. Yes. Well, oh, more specifically that the Eng- the English church that's would, would, would target that first. I mean, sorry, so, sorry, pro- sorry. so that's where the Protestants were. Yes. Yes. There, I, I, think, region. I think in Scotland too. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and so these Roman Catholics that were outside in the Roman the countryside, uh, they were viewed as uh, suspicious and even received hostility from the from the more English authorities, and they began to and so this began to align religious views with political views. Yeah, that's not a dangerous thing at all. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> nothing so, ever came, nothing bad ever came <laughs> from mixing politics and religious. <laughs> but but this this idea of of the outsiders are more Protestants yeah. and the more. Um, um, Natives, so to speak, were more of the more Catholic of orientation, and so this this began to form, um, we, we began to weave in different ideals that have lasted up until present day and beyond. That's right. Um, and so, from the in the sixteen hundred and seventeen hundreds, England, the English and Scottish settlers were given land in Ireland by by the, the by the crown, um, and so this also also created hostilities among the native Catholics. Which then turned into the the Irish Confederate Wars and the Willamite War, hmm. both uh, all of which uh, saw Protestant victories. Yay, course. Protestants! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just it, no, no, no. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> because the result of these regard resulted in laws that were then passed to remove the rights of those who did not associate with the Church of England. Yeah. It became super tyrannical. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Isn't it sad that sometimes in an attempt to maybe uh, oppose something that appears on the surface to be tyrannical, you in fact become tyrannical? Yes. Um, it, it is often <laughs> said the oppressors become the oppressees when yeah. the roles become... When, the the when shift the, of power. Yes, when the power is able to... So so oppression uh, brings about more oppression is what it boils down to. You also got like Oliver Cromwell during mm-hmm. this time. You heard of him. He's like, um, he's basically like England's first dictator. Like it was weird. Cause like in the long line of like Kings, you had like Charles the first and he like, um, basically like ceded like a lot of his power, I think to Cromwell. This guy wasn't a King, yeah. but Cromwell like ran a bunch of the country and he like mm-hmm. persecuted a bunch of people who weren't Protestant church of England type. What yes. I heard about Cromwell, yes. what I've read about Cromwell, which may or may not be true. I've heard that he was kind of like a, a little bit of like a manipulative uh, sociopath or something, yeah, like, that. something like that. So he That's got like a, the king to re- relinquish stuff because he was kind yeah. of a skeever. He was like a little bit of a schemer. Quite guy. probable, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And so, but as time went on, a lot of these restrictions on the Catholics began to be lifted as mm-hmm. generations passed. But as they began to be loosened, this created more conflict because yeah. you're creating about change in a lot of ways. Um, and then comes the 1800s. In the late 1800s, uh, there was this what was known as the Home Rule Movement. 
uh, was formed to re- basically by the, by the natives to restore um, the Irish par- uh, parliament in such a way that it breaks away and begins to self-govern. Um, and so this was supported by the Catholic nationalists, uh, who was the majority, but opposed by the Protestant unionist minorities who were fearful of what the Catholic government would mean for them. Because once again, oppressors become the oppressors become the uh, the oppressed become the oppressors was the fear, um, and so this tension continued until there was enough political support for it, and which for the for the breakaway in which the Irish War for Independence happened in 1919, um, and lasted in 1921, which then led immediately, um, uh, which led to independence, splitting the the territory into Northern and Southern Ireland. Mm which immediately went into the Irish Civil War. And also gave us two really unique uh, soccer teams, technically, for a time. Really? I, if I remember correctly from video games. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so, Republic of Ireland and then another yeah. type of Ireland. Yes. So, um, and, and so out of this comes the provisional government and the uh, uh, um, and an anti- treaty group known as the Irish Republic Republican the IRA. Army the IRA yeah, yeah. yes which so 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 we uh, so this I, is a this is still a touchy subject we we don't presume to know as much about the inner workings yeah, of right. the relationship I know things are doing pretty good nowadays yes but uh, we're just we're just kind of covering this to explain the impact that the church was going through at the time. Yes. So this was Ireland, like most of the country, gaining its independence yes. from England. A good portion, but yes. not... Northern, not but, but, but the northern part were unionists who wanted to stay with the UK. Right. And yeah. so where, where, where the IRA originally formed. But the provisional government won the Civil War, and some say it was bloodier than the war for independence itself. Hmm. Yeah. And as a result of this Civil War, Northern Ireland was relegated to a total of four counties in the northern part where Catholics and Protestants continue to fight heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and the IRA continued to exist after the Civil War with the intention of overthrowing both Irish governments to reunite the country. And then brings us up to the 1960s where the civil rights take place. Now, this is not the civil rights as we know it, because although it was happening at the same time as what was happening in the United States, yeah. our civil rights in the States was race-related this was very much religion related. And it's and so, interesting because again, where, where, where Catholics were being oppressed by the Protestants. Yeah. Well, yeah. well but again though, um, Ireland and America. So Ireland and the British Isles, like Europe, but uh, specifically Ireland and America, um, they have this weird relationship after the turn of the 1900s mm-hmm. where their, their cultures are sort of like influencing each other in mm-hmm. some regard. Oh yes. And so um, because we have families that are in both countries and going back and forth visiting and some are immigrating one way and some are immigrating nope. the other way, the governments I always felt like sort of took a page out of each other's books yes. in a lot of ways. Uh, no, as, as a matter of fact, it was in the nineteen, it was in the early nineteen hundreds. There was a huge influx of of immigrants to the United States That's from right. Ireland, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. often a lot of the um, immigration conflicts we experience today regarding our, uh, those of the more Hispanic descent, those same mentalities existed in the a uh, hundred years ago towards those of the yeah, Irish descent. Yeah. Right. The, the, those same hostilities, a lot of the same mentalities that, that exist regarding right. immigration, which is weird to think about in a lot of ways, but doesn't change the fact that it was very much true. Um, 
But in the 1960s, this is what it begins, what's known in Ireland as the Troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, um, as I said, civil rights related heavily around Northern Ireland, where political oppression to physical, uh, uh, it, it was from political oppression to physically having Catholics singled out and beaten, often to death by police. Um, this led to a series of multi-day riots, the burning of homes and businesses, mm-hmm. to literally armored cars mounted with machine guns. So it's a priest with like one of those long staves with like the jingly stuff on the top. And then like, a, like so it's a priest on the one side and then you got a guy with a nightstick, like a bobby with a nightstick and they're just like sword fighting. And then in the background, there's a guy with a machine gun. It sounds, so, <laughs> sounds like some pretty bad troubles. Yeah, it's, that's not a place I would want to be. Yes, at. I mean, it, it, this, yeah. this was brutal. Um, the 1970s, we see a massive peak in violence, including the infamous Bloody Sunday of 1972. Mm-hmm. Inspiration over, yes, for music. Where over a dozen unarmed men were killed by British police at a civil rights march. Right. Yeah, the, the band U2. Yes, tell, tell us about, about the song. That. Um, I remember. I just heard the news today. I just heard the news today. Can't open my eyes and make it there, go away. I remember um, our old pastor Jake Lee kind of talking about that Sunday Bloody Sunday song, and he said basically like the band U two were kind of inspired by the Psalms a lot. Like we've mm. talked about that on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wanted to try and create a sound that was like reflected um, the kind of the disaster and the sadness of that day. And that's kind of where that song. So if you listen to it, it's got that real kind of melancholy um, cadence kind of going for it. Uh And um, that's what it's about. It's about kind of what happened there. So, so, so yeah, it was, so this is a violent time going from incredibly violent late sixties to modern day. Yes. It's a violent time. Yes. Early 2000s. Not, not trying to sum it up, but I'm just saying, no, no, you're but no, but you're absolutely right. It is. And so yeah, seventies, eighties, early two thousands, it continues on. You see the IRA literally split off and forming multiple variants of itself. And mm-hmm. it's and it's rooted in this idea of Catholicism well, versus the Protestants. For, yes, I mean it, it, it is it is very much rooted in this religious um, these religious yeah. differences that formed political parties more or less. What, what yeah. equates to political parties, um, and so um, to and so there was there was in fact the Good Friday Agreement of 1997. This was when peace was signed. Um, and, <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. That's lovely. I had a scratchy throat for like 10 minutes and I've been trying to hold it down. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, you're good. Uh, so, um, so so, this all culminated. We actually see a peace was signed on, on Good Friday of 1997, the Good Friday Agreement. Um, but despite that signing, it hasn't really stopped some of the conflict from continuing even into mid-2000s. Mm. Um, and so over this period of time, we saw um, it was over 3,500 people killed. Mm. Um, and m- over 50% of those were civilians. Um, and so, but today we, we have a, in, the, in the Republic of Ireland, approximately 75% are Catholic, almost 50% of, 15% are Protestant, and a, uh, a majority of those being Anglican, and around 10% being non-Christian, more atheistic, Muslim, other or unknown, and likewise, in Northern England, we have about 40% that are Catholic, 41% that are Protestant, and nearly 20% that are, 
um, that are other or non-Christian unknown mm. um, atheists. It's, it's quite a different. It's still very split. Yeah. Yes, very yeah. much so. And and I think that kind of, I mean, that's reflected in America too. Different states, different areas have different oh, sure. uh, uh, religious influence. And, and, and you do <clears> see <throat> some cultural preference from time to time uh, towards one or the other, depending on what region you're in. But in, in, I don't think in the States we've seen anything close to this yeah. much bloodiness. Um, uh, I, I, would, I would even argue even during our civil rights well, movements the, that we didn't see things nearly as brutal. Uh, I, mean, I mean, to the point to where we needed peace treaties being signed in our own country well, because, because militias formed up and were fighting each other with machine guns and such. A hundred years before this in America was the Civil War, and I wouldn't say it's technically inspired by religion, but it definitely had religious cadence when certain people would say, yeah. like, it's oh, in sure. the Bible that these people aren't like yes. supposed to be yeah. a certain way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and it, so, and so, but, but there you had a religious justification, not necessarily religious as right. the foundation. What, what I'm saying is blood. we did have a Civil War, and it was bloody, but it was it was completely different yes. than this. And also, but, but, but the, 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 the troubles were yeah. not even considered a Civil War, despite the fact it definitely, right. many people would argue that it the, was. In the Civil War in America, we had a faction break off and say, we are a new country and a new government, and then yeah. you had two basically governments fighting each other with this it was really more the people and so you see how it gets dangerous really mm-hmm. quickly because it's like militias absolutely and and, yeah. and, and and depending on who you speak to the ira is viewed as a terrorist organization yeah um depending once again depending on who you speak to and so we're yeah. not going to get into no 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 that I, that's what i said yeah yeah we but, we, we but, but be... it's important to recognize yeah. that there are groups that are still trying to create violence even though peace has supposedly been found among the political leaders. Sure. And so it's, I feel like it's, what do you think, Bob, after researching all this, what do you think is the impact on the church today? If Ireland is still kind of having an influence? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because there is a lot of research. For example, um, the church of Ireland um, speaks heavily in its own mottos about being proponents of peace and unity among among the church and you see that motto definitely come out of these out of this yeah. this this time frame um this, this desire for peace despite all the violence and conflict and i, I feel like in many ways um I, I i don't know enough to say that that what we have here among the violence is more nominal christians using religion as a political group as opposed to dedicated christians i i can't go as far as to say that I want to believe that because of who I am and what or at my the hopes. very least they are but mis- they are misconstruing things in a way to think that their religion needs them to be violent. Yes, yeah. yes. I, I think I think just about any reasonable individual outside the situation yeah. would say that is a very true they statement. They definitely like if, that, if, that 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 yeah. Jesus did not support right. this type of of action in the name of, of regarding his movement. Right. And so I think it, it, what it reminds me of is kind of like the zealots in the Bible. Yes. Like some of the disciples yes. uh, were from a sect called the zealots. Yes. And Judas was considered, Judas. Well, it, it was, was one of those. And he often gets a lot, a, a, a lot of hate for it and, mm-hmm. and for rightfully, rightfully good reasons. But most people don't realize Peter was also a zealot as yeah. well. Yeah. They misunderstood the scriptures mm-hmm. and thought that what... And likewise, a lot of Jews at the time thought that what 
the Messiah would come accomplish is like a violent revolution throughout the Romans. And so that's kind of understandably when you look at like their situation is what they wanted, but that's not what God was calling them to. Yeah. I don't think that's what God calls us to, um, as Christians, at least for the religious part, you know, we are called to peace. Yes. So, so so there is definitely that element to it. You also see the impact of, oppression playing a big yeah. role in in the church itself and in how the church responds and yeah. or, or people responding in the name of the church but but how the church has been formed in in a lot of ways that you you, you see the sense of oppression in the culture and in the way that that it behaves in a lot of respects i think that we've learned a lot of lessons from from that you know about like relating between like uh, Catholics and Protestants mm-hmm. and just kind of the general sense there seemed to be at, at the end of it, there was a huge desire for peace. That's where like bands like you two come out of. Absolutely. Because they talk about peace a lot is because they grew up during this time. Yes. The, 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 this was their yeah. world. It was, yeah. it was living in a constant war zone or yeah. in a potential, I know maybe a better way of putting it would be a constant threat of terrorist attacks by your own people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, Let's well, move go. on to a more positive yes. uh, subject here. I uh, <laughs> I want to turn us away from the bloodiness of this subject. Um, no, please do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it is it, yeah. as bloody as it is. It is it is real. It is it's definitely shaped the church. But yeah, out of it we have also seen some some neat music come through this as well. So uh, peppered throughout what you guys have talked about, both in Zach's um, early historical uh, stuff and then uh, Zach, uh, Bob's uh, later stuff is going to come into play musically. Um, I want to just I want to put a link out there. We should share um, and uh, the, there's an article and the title of the article is uh, I believe it's just called. Um, either Celtic Christian heritage or something to that effect. Um, the Celtic church and music. And it's an article written by Paul James Griffiths. It's a, it's just an easy Google search, but essentially he, he lines out this early um, kind of movement of how music built from and where it came from culturally and how it was sort of built mm-hmm. and then was influenced through the culture of Ireland, through the Druids and all of this stuff. So I want to read you a little bit. I'm just going to, just going to briefly skim through some of this quickly. Uh, Cause I know we're getting to the tail end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so even as so some people say that even as early as the uh, like 200s AD 200s, um, the Irish, Scottish, Welsh, and uh, even French people were very inspired by, um, this like monistic order uh, who played music with like the lyre and made music with the lyre and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. And those harp and lyre sounds actually transferred to like Celtic monks. Interesting. So Celtic monks then took the harp and the lyre like style yeah. from this guy named Anthony of Egypt, uh, father of monasticism, apparently. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. So then I've heard about him. So then the Celtic monks celebrated their creator with music. And what's interesting is that there was this council, which is going to go back to what Zach was talking about, about the kind of the anti-Druidic uh, kind of thing that happened in uh, 570 AD. So there's this council of Drummit in Ireland, and uh, they're trying to decide whether or not like Druish uh, and Bardic stuff should be involved in any kind of like Christian or like church mm-hmm. uh, related music. 
And what's interesting is they, they kind of make a case that they can use that musical style to praise God without having any of the like ideals that go with it. So they were like, Hey, you know, just cause Druids may not believe in Christ and stuff doesn't mean that we don't have to like incorporate that music with it. They so, decided that they can use Sunseed. The music oh, may dude, be different, dude, dude, but the dude. message is the same. Yep. Just a way to praise <laughs> Jesus name. So Columba, <laughs> uh, the apostle of Scotland was called in and he was an aristocrat and, uh, he said that uh, there was a debate whether or not to ban the bardic music of the Druids, but he, uh, who had been taught that style of voice and harp, and he was like, listen, I, I think we need to give this a shot to communicate the Christian faith with it and yeah. allow the Druids to continue their music and poetry, which is interesting because Be Thou My Vision is a poem from old like Gaelic yeah. and Druid, uh, Dru- uh, Druidic uh, tradition. So moving on a little bit, uh, we see um, mm-hmm. like later on in like 700s, this this whole article talks about some very like influential figures in the in the music community. There was this guy named uh, 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 K- K- Kaedmon. Uh, and uh, anyway, long story short, he had a vision about uh, biblical music through uh, through his playing of the harp. So there's all these different stories that go out through uh, the history of Ireland and the Celtic and Gaelic tradition of Celtic monks sort of uh, singing the glory of God through their like harp sort of like ancient Celtic style of worship. And so that continues on for a very, very long time. Um, but this is mostly a, uh, a thing that was shared both by Scotland and Ireland at the time, because back then it was just one big landmass, which, you know, they, they're, they're, they're dedicated areas, but they're just going back and forth and influencing each other. Sure. This, so, but it says historical documents of Ireland edited by O'Curry, whoever that is. We discover that during the invasion of Ireland by the Normans in the uh, 1172 mm-hmm. period, the knights were amazed to find that all the Irish abbots and bishops could sing and play the harp. And one of the interesting other uh, styles of music that uh, I believe they're Seon Sa or something like that. Seon Soon uh, is a word that means like a just very like solo voice with no instruments at yeah. all. And they use a lot of this ornamentation, which I want to talk about ornamentation because that's the key to Irish sound. But this idea that you would sing or in Gaelic, you would sing like a poem about Christ or you would sing a poem about the old land or anything like that. And but then when they added this harp thing, it added this like interesting texture, which became all its own. It had like nothing to do with Egypt. It was very like Irish. And as we get more into the actual music style, I will explain more. But for now, just know that harp and solo singing yeah. was like the style. Because they had like an island, you know, they got to develop sort of their own musical worship style. Yes. Yeah. So then this skill passed from, Ireland to Scotland, as Gerald of Wales wrote, he said, in my opinion, however, many Scot, uh, many of many Scotland has now not only caught up on Ireland, her instructor, but already far out distances and excels her in musical skill. That's a bold, bold, bold claim. Yeah. Therefore, people now look to that country as the fountain of the art. Wow. So this 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 kind of like musical style keeps getting passed back and forth. We're going to see that the harp and a lot of what becomes like the more modern, like 
sound of Irish sound comes in these like psalmist things that begin to happen. So I can, I can just link this to you. Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to have enough time to cover all of it, but I'm going to say that there is a constant movement of this music, musical style that begins mm-hmm. to form. It starts with the harp and then um, eventually it goes more so into monks who want to worship God in the ruins of their, for, of you know, and they, they want to yeah. bask in the glow of the culture of their country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the harp becomes like yeah. essential to the style of their worship. That's awesome. I like how you how you talked about the um, the council of like whether they would allow kind of that style. Influence. Yeah, it reminds me a lot like the the different styles of art always end up like being adopted by different Christians to yeah. like, reach people. Like, have you heard of Ephraim the Syrian? No, there's no. this guy named Ephraim the Syrian, and like way way back in like the 300s, he was from the Middle East area of Syria. And okay. they had like that country had its own like style of like poetry, and so uh-huh. he used like po- that style of poetry to teach theology. That's interesting. And he was one of the main like influences that was against Arianism back in the day. Like he wrote like anti-Arian like hymns. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this too. There was. But he's really awesome. We're gonna get into this weird controversial stuff that might have been the basis for why things begin to split. Uh, we're not quite to the uh, Reformation or anything, but the Roman Catholic Church actually didn't really think that playing music and doing songs was like not that it's like, it was not that common of a thing. In fact, mm-hmm. they kind of were like icky about it. They had a lot of they choral more, they singing. Did, uh, they did chants. Chants right? and choral yeah. singing and uh, choir stuff, uh, ancient choir thing. But so Thomas Aquinas, who I hope everybody knows, the leading scholar guy. Uh, theologian, he said, "Our church does not use musical instruments as harps and psalteries, psalteries, to praise God withal, that we may not seem to Judas. I don't know even know what the word Judas means, but I think it has something to do with almost but, boast, but, being boastful or uh, boastful. Um, <laughs> maybe Bob, you can look that up for me. But essentially, they didn't like the idea of doing it. But but the the culture of Ireland would would not like." be stopped <laughs> they were like no we have our style we're gonna do it <laughs> egypt did it we're gonna do it so leading on i want to just briefly brush briefly about um what it takes to sound like an irish sound and how mm-hmm. our worship is sort of influenced the, henceforth from that irish sound and i'll go through that a little bit but ornamentation this is a word that you would think has to do with decorating your house but it doesn't or your tree of your christmas tree mm-hmm. but it does not Ornamentation in music is, it's hard to explain, so I might just hum it for you. So, Be Thou My Vision sounds like this. Be thou my vision. Ornamentation, Melody Lion, sounds like this. Be thou my vision, oh Lord of my heart. Okay. So, ornamentation is taking a very basic melody line. Yeah. Because they only have so many notes on their Ulian pipes, their bagpipes, their whistles, uh, the harps have only so many notes, um, and they're very much in a like sort of a uh, a chromatic like you know uh, uh, C. Mm-hmm. They'll be like in a scale. D E F G A B C. So they only have that. So mm-hmm. in order to make that interesting. Yeah. They use a lot of these like fast melody lines with ornamentation. That was like these triplet, tr- 
trills that got put on them. It sounds like what people sometimes add to like the national anthem when they sing it. Sure. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, but that is their own version, but that is like Americanized uh, vocal mm-hmm. fills. Like you yeah, go, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. But, but the, um, ornamentation is very quick. It's very, um, almost fluttery and almost like rushed in in time. Oh, I gotcha. But it keeps the melody line. It does not lose the melody line. It doesn't pause the melody line to do a fill. And so you'll never be out of time with the melody line. You're just adding little accents. Okay. So that, that is something both the instruments and the, and the voices have to have for it to have that authentic Irish sound. And which is why a lot of times when you hear like be thou my vision done just by a choir. A lot of times if you just heard it off the street, you may not necessarily think it's Irish because it's been put into a four chord structure, even though it does have a melody line in keeping with the style of an Irish hymn. Mm -hmm. Like, um, so like, for example, this is my father's world goes, na, 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 na. That is a Irish sounding or Celtic sounding melody line. But it would sound that much more Irish if it was like na 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 na. It becomes the the Shire theme from Lord of the Rings. Sure, very close to the same melody So not not um. So one of the things they do is they do a lot of repetition. So it'll be like over and over. So that's that's a example. There is not as many harmonies as you would think. Typically, there's that's more of a modern take. Like that's something that like you know maybe modern Irish music or modern American music has added this like harmonious aspect. Old school Irish like jigs and stuff were just you go an octave above if you're on the mandolin and you go octave below if you're on, yeah. uh, you know, whatever with your voice. Um, chord changes are less frequent. So one thing you'll hear is because of the way the bagpipes and the Ulean pipes are, you know, it's like, and it's just, you have to keep that baseline because that's all you yeah. got. So a lot of times when people do fast stuff, it'll be just that tone. Mm-hmm. That bass tone will just be and this influences me in what I do sometimes when I play That's exactly solo right. worship. Yeah, I will actually set a like an ethereal pad That's to right. play one note, and it will drone that entire. It's just the. Uh, you know, the tonic, uh-huh. right? That's, that's and, exactly right. And it will play that the whole song. I'll just let it go. So I don't have to control it. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing about the, the drone, the one oh, thing, yes. well, yeah. speaking of droning, the, their rhythms typically are very metered, like uh, droning rhythms that don't yeah. necessarily do anything too fanciful. And the reason for that is because the, the, one of the instruments they use the ball, bohram or the badram, it's just a boom, 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 boom. Oh yeah, it's like the hand drum. Yeah. So a lot of times that's that's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear this kind of metered beat. And another thing, just that you typically will hear when you're hearing like a lot of jig Irish music, even if it's slower Irish music, it tends to be upbeat feeling or joyous yeah. feeling. Um, and now this is going to be musical language that you guys may not understand, but there there is something called modes in music. Okay, mm-hmm. and a mode is when you from from note one to seven on the scale, like from notes one to eight. So if you go do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, 
That is uh, Ionian, as they would call it, or the just basic major scale. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But that makes sense. But because of the way the bagpipe and the Yulian pipe and the whistle and a lot of their instruments are the harp as well, because of how they are, typically you can't play in a different key because the sharps and flats are different in every key. So if I, if I'm singing in C, I don't know if this is C or not, but if it was, uh, you know, C, D, E, F, G, if that's C, and I want to play, I want to play in D, D major scale is D, you know, do, ra, do, re, mi, fa, so. So already there's different sharps and flats that the mm-hmm. bagpipe can't play. Yeah. Do you understand? So instead they would just shift up the bass note and just still play in that scale, which makes different modes. And they're one that they're, that Irish sounds very, very much like is called Dorian scale, mm-hmm. Dorian mode. For anybody who's musical and wants to look this up, um, Dorian sounds interesting because it is both minor and major mm-hmm. and has a very it's really cool. And it's a yeah. very interesting feel. And it's uh, it's actually in the song that we uh, I wrote uh, where we wrote uh, the Flourish song. I, I do a, a, a key and G and then I go up to uh, a minor Dorian sort of scale just to, so you guys can go yeah. back and listen to that if you want to and kind of understand. But the first little verse is major scale G. Second uh, second part of the verse is a Dorian scale. Mm-hmm. So and that the song is uh, wild. Revelation song, that popular worship song, yeah, is Dorian scale. Really? Uh, uh, yeah. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Yeah. I wonder if you could make that Irish. Worthy is the. I don't know. I would, I'm I'm not good at just picking. Maybe throw them out, it in uh, three four. And <laughs> the rhythm would have to be a little different, but yeah. So so finally, when there are lyrics used, they are typically of poetry uh, for these ancient ones. Now modern stuff uh, evolved in the spirit and culture of that, and therefore a lot of Irish hymns of modern time are very poetic language, like the Gettys who wrote mm-hmm. in Christ alone, in very Christ poetic alone. language. Yeah. Um, were the oh wait? Are you saying the Gettys are were Irish? They are. Really? Yeah, they are. I didn't know that. Yeah, they they don't. I don't believe they have. I don't the, know. Are they from Ireland? Look at let's they're, let's do a quick look up live on the podcast. They're Irish. They might be Keith, Irish descent though. Because Keith Getty. Yeah. Here we go. Shout out to Keith Getty, Northern Irish singer. Oh wow! wow. Okay. Yeah. Julian Keith they, Getty, OBE, yeah. is a Northern Irish Christian singer and songwriter. Interesting. So, so they are from Ireland. They're from Northern Ireland. Interesting. Northern Ireland. The, the heart of where most of this conflict has happened over, over the last and Bob, I, we've moved years. on past the conflict. Okay, I'm trying to wipe, I'm trying to go back to the happy stuff here. Yeah. So here, here's what I'll say. They so, definitely use the Irish uh, style, you know, like Be Thou My Vision, a lot of their other stuff too. Um, well, so In Christ Alone is the, mm-hmm. their one they wrote. I also really like My Worth is Not, not in What I own. own. I believe that is also very Irish sounding, even though it doesn't have the cadence or the ornamentation. It definitely uh-huh. has a. Yeah. I think they, they've always tried to be very, like, kind of neutral, but they, they often bleed in a lot of their Irish it's, sound. Yeah, it's interesting. You should listen to some Getty stuff because it's. It's not straight up like Irish folk music, but it has that influence, especially in Christ alone. So we have, um, so we have a few instruments here that you can look at if you're trying to create that sound. So you have the bagpipes, the Ulian pipes from Ireland instead of Scotland. You have the flute, you have the, the tin whistle or the low whistle. You have the fiddle. Mm -hmm. 
uh, which is, so of those, the fiddle, the Uleum pipes, and the tin whistle are going to be pretty important. The accordion and the concertina, uh, which is like the little squeeze box, that's going to give you more of that like uh, shanty. It almost makes it piratey. Shanty yep. uh, boat, boat kind of music. But really, if you listen to classic like uh, turn of the century Irish jigs like Morrison's jig and stuff, you'll you'll hear it a lot of times with this concertina. Uh, the bodram, the drum, or, you know, uh, so another interesting thing is of the stringed instruments, because of its influence in America and because of its connection to bluegrass, banjo is often used yeah. in modern bluegrass music because of the tinny sound that it has. That's very easily recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going with like a traditional style, you use the, buz- uh, the uh, not, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, buzuki, which is, uh, a very like elongated with a smaller body type stringed instrument. I think they have the double strings kind of like a mandolin, huh. but it's longer. It seems kind of like a, almost like a cross between a mandolin and a banjo or, or a mandolin and a guitar even, yeah. but and then there's guitar as well. So, um, okay. That's, that's where we're getting our Irish sound from as far as like the real, yeah. like heart of the traditional music. But what you're going to find is things like Robin Mark or other, uh, yeah. non, non-Christian musicians like the chieftains, uh, seven nations, all this stuff. They're going to use this instrumentation and they're going to try and replicate that because there's just something about it. There's just something about the yeah. way ornamentation and the way those instruments, you know, flick the ear drum in such a way. So, um, so because of the limitations of how they can play, the types of chords and melody lines that were derived out of them came straight from their instrumentation, mm-hmm. which is why when you move up and you can only use nine notes, you have to be really creative with how the melody line sounds. And because you can only use nine notes and there's only so much you can do, ornamentation became essential, the making the notes interesting. And furthermore, when they started branching out, it had a lot to do with America. So let's talk about that. First thing I'll tell you, uh, just a little bit about um, the kind of the way I have a little thing about untrained uh, composers here. So um, apart from the Harper composers of the 16th century, because we have these like harp guys who are crazy uh, <laughs> from from Druidic to now to, you know, to ancient Egypt until now. Composers in the 16th and 17th century usually came from the Protestant Anglo Irish background, which we've already talked about. And as due to the discrimination of Catholics, no formal musical education was available to them. So a lot of times they got involved with the church just simply to have the means and outlet to write music. Interesting. So a lot of composers were influenced by church because of the necessity to write classical music within the church. So I have a few, um, uh, we can talk, I don't think we'll have time to talk about Be Thou My Vision. It's a big topic, but I'm just going to say it's a great song based on poem. You should check it out, look it up. But beyond that, we have uh, another Irish hymn called The 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 King of Love My Shepherd Is. Yeah. I listen to it. It's very, very beautiful. Uh, that's another ancient hymn, not as popular as Be Thou My Vision. Then you have your modern ones like In Christ Alone or Jesus Only Jesus by Robin Mark. I'm a huge Don't Robin Mark fan. To uh, put on the garment of praise. Oh, my gosh. My favorite one. I didn't want to go uh, crazy because that one's not as famous as Jesus Only Jesus. But That's true. Um, but anyway, so I want to talk. Shout. To the north and the, the south. south. That's, I think it might be his most famous. It's very Irish yeah. sounding too, the belly line. So um, golden age of Irish music revival. This to me was uh, something I researched, but I'll talk briefly about it. When the immigration to America happened, yeah. 
there was a lot of guys who were playing these classic jigs. They had their instruments with them. They were uh, singing as a family. They were doing whatever. And a lot of these early bands in America were just families or buddies. This is interesting to me because like we kind of, you were kind of talking about this a little before we started yeah. recording, but we kind of had this idea in our head that like there was ancient uh, Irish music and it just kept moving forward. But really there was like a huge revival. Yes. And a lot of the influence that we have today is from this. And that's, that's exactly right. So when, when the immigration happened that Bob already mentioned, um, the population in America of Irish immigrants skyrocketed. So, Mm -hmm. um, whether or not they were seen as second class citizens, a lot of them felt like they were getting these huge opportunities yeah. As far as work and mm-hmm. whatever, mu- and, and for musicians, especially sure. musical families, which was a lot of what bands were back then, musical like families, like they would have their daughter play the tin whistle yeah. and all of that. And because of that, a lot of these Irish com- composers of the 20s became popular because mm. of the the radio and because they were able to be produced in America. Yeah. And because they were be able, they were able to be produced in America. People in Ireland heard them played. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, really? Oh, we know the, we know them. They're the, they're the Patties. They're the Mikko whatever's." Yeah. And uh, so then that revived Ireland to do more Interesting. music. I love that. So the technology, I love that. Yeah, the, the fact that the, that we were able to to influence them in such a way as to. Re regain their own roots. Right. I and love that. So, so what's interesting is that by hearing across cultures, they were like, Ooh, this, that Irish feel. I love that. I'm going to start playing music again too. Mm-hmm. And it became this kind of like sort of an embracement, a little bit of the culture Ireland was bringing over. So, um, which is why a lot of times when you see these like twenties, uh, films about like, like the slums of New York, they often sound like an Irish jig is playing. Like if you're watching mm-hmm. like gangs of New York, if you're watching the newsies, uh, all these movies you'll hear like, and they're down by like yeah. the, the docks or whatever. And it's like, well, it's cause a bunch of Irish immigrants are around there. <laughs> and so, um, what's interesting too, is that that immigration movement wasn't the, you know, that's not the only time Irish people moved to America. There was the 1800s. There was some, yeah. there were several uh, different uh, immigration periods. I mean, as, mm-hmm. as early as the formation of America, the, f- I mean, uh, how many settlers were of Irish descent? We do not know, but right. uh, Irish families. So one of the big connections for our musical influence in America that Irish brought was the bluegrass connection, as yeah. I call it. And, if you are a person who was Appalachia, from, yes. If you're a person from uh, from uh, Irish descent and you come to America and you live up in the mountains somewhere, in the Appalachian Mountains, and you are connecting with people of other European descent, who is our forefathers essentially, or if you're coming in the 1800s and there's already Americans here who are like Podunk Appalachia people, and you bring your fiddle, and they're yeah. like. Oh, we know about the fit around here. <laughs> and they're like, and they're like, oh, I'll get my banjo. <laughs> and so then you get this weird fusion of what is what is Irish folk music yeah. and traditional American folk music. And the final puzzle piece to make it bluegrass, believe it or not, was actually uh, African uh, influenced jazz and blues. Interesting. If you if you know about how jazz and blues typically was formed, because it's it's pre nineteen hundreds. Yeah. But um, blues is the more modern like take on jazz. But typically, jazz and blues, you have the 
every band kind of plays quiet and one person has their mm-hmm. lead time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the true. The breakdowns. That's true. Yeah, That was a big influence for bluegrass. And then uh, when you get involved in blues, you actually have stringed instruments like the guitar. Uh, so that all gets incorporated in. It's funny in. because you got like, you know... The blues has and jazz has so many branches that go off from that's it. Ex- that's exactly because true. Because, you, you know, you've got, like, your, like, eventually you have, like, your Motown, like, soul, like, kind of stuff, R&B. But then you also have, like, rock and roll. That's right. And then you've got uh, kind of almost this more country, bluegrass kind of thing. Right. Eventually inspires country. You know? so, so if you think about, like, Robert Johnson, mm-hmm. for example, Robert yeah. Johnson is a blues guy. Yeah. But his stuff is almost like slow versions of like bluegrass. If yeah. you were to like speed up a Robert Johnson blues yeah. song, because he taps his, you know, boom, boom, taps his foot and he's like, ding, 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 ding. whatever. Yeah. If you speed that up, it's, you know, you're kind of getting bluegrass at that point. Um, so all of that kind of meshed together to make bluegrass, but a big foundational root of it was English, Scottish, and Irish dance tunes. Yeah. That were brought over from early immigration. That's and, awesome. And so there's a quote from uh, Bill Monroe of Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, who most people say is the originator of the bluegrass sound. And I think he's from the 40s, or the 50s. And he mm-hmm. said, this is how he describes bluegrass. Scottish bagpipes and old time fiddling. Yeah. It's Methodist in its holiness and it's Baptist. It's blues and jazz and it has a high lonesome sound. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, so you can That's see kind of how they integrated all of yeah. that in. Right. So um, he's from uh, somewhere out in Western Kentucky. Actually, Bill Monroe is. I believe you're yeah. right. And so, well, but they say close Bill, to where Kara's from. They say yeah. Bill, Bill Monroe and the bluegrass boys. And of course, bluegrass is Kentucky bluegrass. So yep. that's, I mean, but. So, so bluegrass has influenced worship. Definitely, Celtic music has influenced worship. So we both have both. Sure. We have the American side and we have the Irish side. Yeah. Because what we've seen is the development of American culture back into Ireland to add like things like guitar and banjo to the Irish sound, which is where you get that from. It's kind of like they're both um, cultures that kind of like take things in and like yeah. melt. They're both melting Everybody pots. does that. I yeah. mean, Japan yeah. did that in the, you know, in the Meiji era when they took like baseball and sort yeah. of modernization, like tuxedos and stuff. Yeah. Every, I'm not saying that America is like, oh, we're, our culture is the thing you want. I'm just saying that every country does that. They'll say, absolutely, yeah. we're trading with you. We love this thing. Let's just make this a thing. And so yeah, why not? I, 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 I love what you, that's so different than what I'm used to. Let me, let's explore that. Yeah, exactly. And so Ireland has its roots, uh, you know, so so they have the the druidic music with the harp, and they have this kind of like, almost like psaltery singing, uh, chant singing that has mm-hmm. got ornamentation. Move forward, you start to add instruments in, like the fiddle. You know, the violin turns into the fiddle. I would love to just do a whole episode on how the violin became the fiddle. Sometime <laughs> that'd be interesting. It's the same instrument. Yeah, <laughs> but um, so but it definitely sounds different. You can play a fiddle or a violin. <laughs> So Zach, asked, play it. so Zach asked me a question that was hard for me to answer. And I thought I would just be real about it. He said, like, how has Ireland influenced worship music and, you know, modern worship music? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, how, you know, how is it like, how, how does, and also you asked, how does Irish music kind of have that spiritual sound? That's kind of, uh, what makes it fit with worship? You right. Know, it's kind of, so here's, here's some notes it. I made about aspects of it that we see in worship. Yeah. So it has poetic language, which is important. Mm-hmm. 
and that's not just a thing that you find in the scriptures, like the Psalms, but yeah, they had their independent cultural poems that became Christian poems. Yeah. It's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to depict the beauty of God. That's right. Know, in terms of worship. Like, you know, um, uh, uh, any, anytime you have a beautiful language, uh, it's meant to emphasize again, what would be normally like a simple melody. Right. Yeah. And so then you have ornamentation, which is mm-hmm. something that we see a lot, but we don't see as much, but it does distinguish itself when you hear it. You're like, Ooh, that's, that's kind of like Celtic. Um, and we hear that in certain worship songs, upbeat and joyous always kind of have this like energy, mm-hmm. which is something we see a lot of Robin Mark. We see it a lot in, uh, I would say modern, I, I would say that like, and I walked out of that grave kind of has a metered beat that reminds me of okay. something from like an Irish. Interesting. Um, hmm. repetitive, uh, re- you know, as far as repetition goes, I, some people say it's a weird thing. I would say it's a good thing for certain worship songs. If you have a stylistic thing about doing a repetitive kind of like a B sure. You know, if you sing, uh, let's say, uh, 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 what's the one about, um, you see, um, Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. What's the worship song? The very famous one. That's like, uh, we can, uh, uh I can't wait to here. see what, uh, Oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm forgetting this song. Um, to see it's a, it's a, uh, Oh man, it's, uh, to see your glory, it's uh, better is one day. No, 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 no. Glory. <laughs> oh, to see you high and lift. Yeah, what's what's that song? Blessed be the name of the. Uh, I, I can yeah. only imagine. No, no, no. no I think it's bless. Is it blessed be the name of the Lord? No, it's open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Is what it is. Open the eyes open of my heart. Oh Lord. no! Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So it's just a repetitive back and forth. A B A B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Open to see you high and lift it up, shine in the light of your glory. You know what's interesting? Very Irish. Very Irish sounding, even if they didn't mean it to be. In my experience, and I've not been everywhere. Sorry, I did. It took me for. I was panicked. I was like, I can't believe I can't think of this name. That that song mm. is really popular in like lots of different countries. Like I went to um I went to Guatemala in college, and they wanted to sing it there. Right. And I went to Haiti later on after college and they wanted to sing it there. And then I've been in a uh, seminary. There's been people come in from Asia, um, other parts, parts of Africa, other parts of the world. Right. They all like, everybody knows that song. Isn't, and that, isn't that interesting? It's, it's, sometimes, sometimes I, I see it. I'm a, I'm an advocate for making things more complex. I know that's mm-hmm. kind of an annoyance, but at the same time, there is something to be said about getting your point across with a simplistic AB mm-hmm. where you just sing your mm-hmm. verse and then you sing your chorus. It's so that's one thing that I, Irish folk music has inspired in worship. Also, um, uh, you know, obviously the American styles that have kind of derived yeah. out of it are, are from uh, Irish influence. I mean, bluegrass is really tied with like worship because it's a lot of it is all Bible based lyrics. You know. And typically, even though it's hard to quantify this out, if you hear an Irish melody line with a simplistic uh, chord structure, it is very pleasing to the ear. Now, yeah. that is subjective. I've told Zach that's kind of a subjective. That's true. Because there's people out there that might be like, eh, you know, this isn't really the style that I like. Yeah. But for people like us who have done worship music for a while, it really lines up well with that kind of peaceful 
joyous and spiritual worship sound mm-hmm. that we often love to hear. And Robin Mark uh, is a good example. There's other uh, Robin Mark just uh, keeps coming back to me as a guy who can do the Irish sound with a slow yeah. versus like a really fast up tempo thing. But um, but yeah, that's There's basically also all like I got. Rich Mullins who uses like the hammer dulcimer and stuff. That's right. Sounds very Irish. Uh-huh. Love very, very... dulcimer. Even though I don't know if the dulcimer is even Irish, but dulcimer actually comes from that sort of like bluegrass uh, yeah. of uh, Appalachia background. But, but the way he plays but, it sounds very Celtic to me. Yeah, but bluegrass yeah. also derives from it's related Celtic, Celtic yeah. and Irish uh, well, uh, dance go. tunes. Yeah. All right, guys. So Ireland's had like a huge impact on the church. Would you guys say? I would mm-hmm. say he has. I I I had a lot of fun doing some musical research. I love music mm-hmm. humanities, as you would call yeah. it. Um, so it's, it was really fun, but it was also interesting to learn kind of what was happening in the, at the time. Yeah. Uh, it just kind of the movement of the church. I find it interesting too, that the reformation played a big role in Irish like culture. I didn't think that was a thing because very much. I mean, I know the reformation affected every church, sure, but, but just specifically in Ireland. Yes. Not only did you have the Anglican church, but you also had the Presbyterians and, and and out of it come also comes the Methodists and several other groups. Ulster like Protestants or whatever. (laughs) They're real, uh, but yeah, yeah. reformed. Ah. Yes. And so, so, so yeah, there's definitely some huge influences there, but yeah, we are probably way over time, but we are super happy that we have had a chance to, uh, kind of explore Ireland a little bit. Happy St. Paddy's day. Hey, I have a final joke before we end the episode. Okay. Okay. Go for it. What do you call an Irish guy who stands outside and never comes in the house, even when it's raining? What? Patio furniture. (laughs) (laughs) Patio furniture. Get it? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was really bad. Um, But on that note, just check out our Patreon. Check us out on um, all the places you get your podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. Um, We would love a continuing flow of uh, comments. Uh, The once a month thing is great, but if we get some more, that would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And we will catch you next time. Peace.